growing up, there were a lot of sayings, statements, threats, pieces of advice that our parents uttered to us or whoever raised you uttered to you over the years. Um, like I said, sometimes they were really helpful. I guess, I mean, threats can be really helpful. Don't get me wrong. Those, I mean, if, it, if a threat comes before the punishment or, or the pain, that's, that's really helpful. Um, and so, you know, the thing that's so interesting is that though we, many of us grew up in different places, different ways, different generations, a lot of us heard the same pieces of advice. There's some of those pieces of advice that are incredibly common. Um, for, for instance, as a kid, I think I heard my dad say, shut the door, like 800,000 times. And now, as a dad, I say it every day, multiple times a day, at increasing volumes. And I, I, they don't listen to me any more than I listen to my dad um, at growing up. So I shouldn't be surprised, but it is one of those beautiful things where I think my dad's probably just sitting back in Fairfield, Illinois, going... <laughs> like, like he, I think he catches glimpses that I'm like living my childhood through different eyes, and I think he gets a kick out of that. Um, maybe you had a mom or a grandma that tried to warn you that friends were a bad influence, that kind of thing. But again, a lot of us heard the same kinds of things. Um, the internet has dubbed these momisms. Not that they couldn't come from dad, but I, they, that's the name that has stuck, momisms. So I just want to see if, the, as a group, we can kind of fill in the blanks here on some of these, okay? Um, this one, I think, is a given. Always wear clean. Yeah. But what was, what was the reasoning your mom gave or dad gave? In case you go to the hospital. Is there no better reason? Like, like, I can think of a couple better reasons to wear clean underwear than, like, the rare chance that you'd get into an accident and they have to cut them off of you at the hospital. Like, one, dirty underwear are gross. Like, can we? Nobody starts with that. Anyway. Um, oh, this one. Yeah, so underwear, there you go. Don't run with scissors, yeah. Um, man, it turns out there's a ton of things that you don't want your kids to run with, but scissors is the one that's stuck. Okay, don't run with scissors. You are what you eat, right? Um, we have a kid who particularly likes corn dogs, and we've said you're going to turn into a corn dog one of these days. Um, so far, that has yet to happen. Um, you're not leaving the house. I don't know if you get this one. You're not leaving the house. Dress like that, yeah. Dress like that. Boom. You're not wearing that out of this house, but mom, you know, you, you don't know what's cool anymore. And, you know, I used to think as a kid, I'm like, who, why would parents be so upset about that? As a dad, totally, I'm on board now. I think, you know, it should be turtlenecks and pants and skirts down to the ankles all the time. Um, always keep a little money for a rainy day. Boo, yep, yep. There, you know, there's a little variation as I'm hearing, but for a lot of the way, they're, they're very, very much the same. Okay. Okay, save a little money for an Amazon sale. Um, I don't, your mom's glaring. I don't think she said that one. I don't know. You ever, um, how about this? Don't go outside with wet hair or you'll catch a cold. Did anybody hear? Or you'll catch a death? So, like, whoa, you'll, like, wet hair, death. Like, I, I'm like, well, that's really, like, that, that escalates really quickly. Um, and this one, I don't know if, I, I think we've all heard a version of, of this next one, but I don't know if we'll be able to fill it in the same way, so we'll see. I tried to word it in a way that I thought we'd all be able to guess it. One day you'll understand when you have kids, yeah, become a parent, have kids of your own, something like that. 
and man, because there's so many times, why do we have to do that? I don't understand, but, but one day you'll get it. And these are all, again, every one of those, I didn't have to feed any of those to us. Like everybody has heard these, understood these to some extent. Well, what we're going to do today is we're going to finish up this teaching series that we've been in on the Sermon on the Mount that we've called Apex. And the reason it's called Apex is because in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus was pointing us to a higher and better way to be a human. He's pointing us onto like the pinnacle of what it means to follow in his footsteps. And what we're going to do today is we're going to look at a single statement by Jesus that I think for a lot of people has fallen into this momism category. It's a little statement. Almost everybody's heard it. It's incredibly smart, incredibly challenging. And again, we've all heard it from moms, dads, grandmas, grandpas, teachers at school, and everything. And we're going to go to Matthew chapter 7, verse 12, which says this. So whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them. For this is the law and the prophets. This is an incredibly memorable verse, depending on the translation you have. I'll be honest, the English Standard Version that we use here really doesn't put it in that nice, catchy way. Um, the NIV um, puts it in a little bit better way, which is do unto others as you would have them do to you. Or not do unto, do to others as you would have them do to you. It might be King James that adds in the unto. Yeah, do unto. That's the one that a lot of people know, right? And so do to others what you would have them do to you. And that's a pretty good, pretty memorable way to look at it. But the idea here of this little statement, it's so good. It's so beautiful because in a lot of translations, like I said, it's very memorable. It's something so simple that kids can grasp it. Kids of any age can understand what it means to treat people the way that you want it to be treated. It's this um, statement that was, is so good, in fact, that back in the 1600s, it got a name. Anybody? The golden rule. Yeah, it's the golden rule. Um, you know, it's funny. If you, that's even like the heading on a lot of Bibles for this section. But that wasn't originally the name until around the 1600s is kind of the earliest record they can find of it. Um, but, but, you know, as I was beginning kind of preparing for the sermon this week, I was looking at it and I was like, I think Jesus did the impossible with this sentence. I think he made a statement that nobody can disagree with. A short Google search proved that that was not true. Um, there are plenty of people who do not like, do not agree with the golden rule, who think it's anywhere from um, empty fluff to just bad advice. Um, so, you know, I shouldn't have been surprised when I looked it up. I mean, we live in the age of criticism, so it shouldn't have surprised me. And actually, went goes on to kind of further what we're going to talk about here today. So the golden rule is incredibly, incredibly important. It's incredibly beautiful, and I think incredibly smart, but it's also so challenging because how many of us can say that we do this? I mean, you will say we try to do this, but we don't really like fully every day do this. It's, it's, such, a, it's such a high bar for behavior that when we read it, we go, oh, that's beautiful. Everybody should do this. The world would be a better place if, if everybody did this, but yet we can't do it perfectly. And so, uh, one of the reasons, though, why I think a lot of people have trouble with it, disagree with it, whatever, is because um, 
we do this thing, everybody does this thing, especially with the Bible, where we will take one little nice-sounding verse and we will pull it out from all the other verses around it, we'll slap it on coffee cups, we'll put it on inspirational posters and backgrounds for our computers and our phones and stuff like that, and we totally remove it from the context. And I think probably the best evidence is that a lot of you could quote some version of the golden rule, but how many of us in the room know what the verses are on either side of the golden rule? Yeah, it's like, oh, I don't, I don't know. I know the golden rule. But what's going on? What's Jesus talking about in the section where we find the golden rule? A lot of us don't know. And that highlights a problem that very many of us have, which is taking these verses and pulling them out of context and thinking, this is great right here. Now, what happens is, at at best, we're going to miss part of the point when we take verses out of their context and try to look at them and appreciate them all on their own. At best, we're going to miss part of the point, or at worst, we're going to totally miss the point and misconstrue what was meant by this. Now, lucky for us, the golden rule, you can't totally miss the point. It is very, in many ways, self-explanatory, but, but we've got to understand what Jesus is talking about if we really want to make the most of this beautiful, rich teaching, okay? So what is Jesus talking about? Well, if I put, like, a multiple choice on the screens, I don't think you guys would guess what he's talking about. Um, because it, starting in chapter 7, just a few verses here, this whole section, in fact, the whole closing section of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is actually talking about judgment. And you wouldn't think that when you read the Sermon on the Mount. You just think, oh, it just means I need to be a nice person. It means I need to, like, maybe let somebody with less groceries go in front of me at, at the checkout or something. Like we think it just means being a nice person. But what Jesus is actually talking about in this whole section is judging others. In fact, if you rewind a little bit up to the very beginning of chapter 7, we're going to come to another really famous verse that people really like to throw at Christians, which is this. Judge not that you be not judged, or judge not lest you be judged. It might be more familiar to you. People love throwing this at Christians to imply that we don't understand our own scriptures, um, because let's be honest, we can be a little judgy at times, right? That's no secret for a lot of people. And he goes on to say that, for with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged, and with the measure you use, it will be used against you. Meaning, if you're a person who, you know, tends to not judge people, then when you come time when you face God, that God will not be as harsh with criticism and judgment with you. If you're a person who hands out tons and tons of grace, then God will show you grace. That's kind of the idea here. But what people get off track with is what they mean when they talk about the word judgment. Because what we've kind of understood it to mean is that, um, you know, in our culture now, to judge means to look at somebody and assess whether their behavior is morally right or morally wrong. And our culture just kind of says that nobody has the right to look at another person and decide if the way they live their life and anything they do is morally right or morally wrong. And so that's kind of what people think here. But the idea is more about condemnation, about totally writing someone off because of the way that they live, because of the mistakes that they uh, commit in their lives. And so Jesus is actually talking about this desire that we have to kind of write people off, to look at somebody and say, Oh, that person, those people, they are, so, they are the worst. You know what they did? And then just kind of like lump them together in this category of evil. Because here's the thing. If we can really get our brains focused on the problems of other people, I don't really have to worry about the problems that I have in my life. 
If I can gossip about the problems of other people, rant about the problems of other people, I'm pointing all the attention at somebody else rather than dealing with anything that's going on in my life. Now, humans have always had this tendency to look and focus on the problems of others. In fact, we see that when I did my little Google search and found that there was a lot of people that were grumpy with this little statement. We live in this age of criticism, this age of division, this age where everybody is pointing a finger at everybody else, and every group is mad at every other group. And, and it's not just, I disagree with you. It's, I hate you. I'm opposed to everything about you. You over there, you're evil. You're wrong. We, we, we like imagine that people on opposite sides of our beliefs or opinions are just sitting around twirling their villainous mustaches, plotting the demise of the world. We, we turn people into these caricatures of evil. But what about us? Well, we believe without question that we are the virtuous people standing up for the cause of good and truth and justice. And we kind of imagine ourselves when we're picking our fights and pointing at the other side, we picture ourselves with our cave flapping in the wind, American flag waving majestically behind us. We're the, we're, we're the good guys. Everybody thinks they're the good guys. And whoever they are, you know, in our country, we got plenty of they's. You know, whatever political aisle you're on, everybody on the other side. You know, if you're from a city, rural people are horrible. If you're rural, city people are horrible. I mean, any possible way you can divide us up, they're bad and you're good. That's just the natural human tendency. Everybody is, um, you know, we're the heroes and people are villains, essentially, to be defeated. And that's a shift that is important to take note of. Once you get to this point where they are a faceless, nameless they, or even if it's somebody that you know, if you can lump them into a category, you know, they all of a sudden you can tell yourself that they're kind of a villain. They're an enemy. And what do you do with enemies? You destroy them. You don't reach out to them. You don't redeem them. You don't help them. You defeat them. And that's an interesting thing, because what happens when we take on this heart of judgment, this desire to condemn people, we naturally dehumanize them. We take away a person's humanity, the person you disagree with, the person who, who, sees, who lives life in a, on a morally different scale than you do. Not only are they, or no longer are they a person with struggles and fears. No longer are they a mom or a dad just trying to get their kids ready for school in the morning like you. No, again, they're the evil villain. They're a black hat wearing person in a movie. That's an old movie reference. In older movies, black hat people used to be the bad guys, white hat cowboy wearing people used to be the good guys, right? But that's, we kind of, we, we forget that people are people, Living life just like us, they're trying to oftentimes do the, the best they can with what's going on in their life, and yet we are the virtuous heroes, and we make them out to be the villains, the enemy, the morally wretched people who deserve the bad things to happen to them. And so whatever team you're on, we convince ourselves, what we're doing is we care about what's good and right. We care about what's good and right. But do we? Do you really care about what's good and right? And then Jesus goes on to say that, honestly, most of the time, we don't. We don't care about what's good and right. We care about condemning others and feeling superior to other people. He goes on in verse 3 of Matthew chapter 7. Jesus says, why do you see the speck? And the word for speck here is like the po smallest possible itty-bitty fragment of something. So like the, the smallest black 
ick that could get in your eye? Why do you see the smallest thing that is in your brother's eye, but you do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Now, this is as close, I think, as we can tell to Jesus like being outright funny. I mean, because if you visualize this, it's so funny looking. Like, you see, like, if I had something in my eye, would anybody in the room be able to see it? No. But if I had like a two by four sticking out of my, my face, like that's noticeable, right? This is a funny picture that Jesus is painting. It's, it's meant to be ridiculous. And he says, or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there is a log in your own eye? You hypocrite. First, take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. This judgmental heart causes us to highlight, focus on the smallest, minutest sins that we can discover in other people while completely ignoring some of the biggest, gnarliest, darkest sins in our own life. Um, Early this week, it just happened to come across my Facebook feed. You know, I I love Facebook memories. As much as I don't like about Facebook, I love that little memories section, especially having been on it for a few years. It brings up these Moments, these photos, these comments, these videos that make me feel incredibly old. Things that's like, oh my gosh, this was yesterday, wasn't it? How did my kid, he's not a baby anymore. Like those moments, you know, that make you realize how fast time is passing. And I came across this video of Jude that popped up here. Jude, this is a good one for you. Um, This was in 2005. We're having breakfast. Nope, 2015? He wasn't alive in 2005. I wasn't married in 2005. Oh, yeah, I was still in college. Um, I was younger than him almost in 2005, 2015. So he had toast with Nutella on it for breakfast, and it is everywhere. I mean, you can see it on his face. It's on his forehead. Now, it would be ridiculous if right here he stopped and, and said, Dad, come on, get it together. You got something on your face. If I had like a little crumb on my chin. It would be ridiculous for him to sit there and be like, okay, man, okay, old man, seriously, clean yourself up. This is ridiculous. You're not presentable. You have, you have a small crumb on your face. Get it, get it off of there. While he's like slathered head to toe in Nutella. Um, now, now, what Jesus is saying here is that when we spend time focusing on the sins of others and ignoring our own sin, it is just as ridiculous, just as absurd just as worthless as, as somebody who is, has their face covered in gunk and yet is concerned about the tiny spot on someone else's face. What Jesus is saying is that us spending time pointing out the sins of others is completely ridiculous. Because what it shows when we do this, it shows that we don't care about justice. We don't care about God's will. We don't care about doing what is right. If we did, we would attack the sin on our front door. We would deal with the sin that is filling our own lives rather than going out and looking for it in others. Our goal most often is this heart of judgment, this heart of condemnation, which makes us feel good when we can say, those people are evil, but I am good. And that is where we come into this idea of the golden rule. It comes in so well to kind of start to dismantle this dehumanizing mindset that we oftentimes take on. Let's put the golden rule back up here so we can remind ourselves what it is. Now, here's what the golden rule does. It forces us to look at people the way we look at ourselves. It forces us to see people as people who get up in the morning, 
Some people bounce out of bed. Some people snooze it 20 times before they get out of bed. They're doing the same stuff we are. They're getting up. They're trying to you know, pay bills. They're trying to get their kids ready. They're trying to be able to afford gas. They're trying to, you know, they're, they're sitting at home during this last year, bugging out of their minds, waiting to go and do things and, and see people and be around people just the same as we are. And yet, when we dehumanize people, we take all that out of them. We just assume, again, that they, all they do is sit around and want to do evil, horrible, wrong things. And that's ridiculous. That's a caricature. That's something that you see, um, like, in an old James Bond movie. Like, I've always, I always laugh. Like, movies have really changed in the last number of years because if you watch some of the older, older movies, the bad guy was just a bad guy. I always loved the, the James Bond stuff um, where someone's like, well, I'm here, I'm gonna, I've got the codes to all, every country's nuclear arsenal, and I'm going to blow up the world. Why? Like, you don't, the bad guy doesn't win. Like, the bad guy just wants to do bad stuff. Like, there's no real win for them. They just want to get rich or take everybody out with them. Like, now, in some of the best movies, at least there's like, they kind of give you an attitude that the, the bad guy's doing something from their perspective that seems good. But, but that older mindset, though, is probably more honest with who we are. We want to just assume a lot of people are bad. And yet this, this statement, this beautifully simple statement about treating others the way you want to be treated, it forces each and every one of us to ask, okay, how do you really want people to treat you every day? How do you want people to talk about you? How do you want people to think about you? You know, it's like, okay, Anthony, how do you feel when people don't give you the benefit of the doubt and just assume that you're doing stuff to be a jerk? How do you feel when people assume that you're greedy, when people talk and whisper about you as if you're the devil himself. Anthony, how do you feel when somebody assumes that you're sitting at home twirling your villainous mustache? Well, I don't like that at all. I don't like it when people gossip about me and talk about me and assume the worst about me, when maybe they don't even know me or have ever taken the time to get to know me. So then guess what? That is wrong of me to do that to someone else. Anthony, how do you feel when people disrespect you when people, again, that you've never met gossip about you and spread lies about you. Well, I don't like that. How do you feel when people are rude to you in an, in a, in an instance for no reason? I don't like that at all. In fact, one of the few ways, I, it used to be a lot of ways, but I, as I've gotten older, I've, I feel I've gotten better at this. One of the few ways to take my temper from zero to 100 is when somebody gets mad at me for something I feel I didn't do. So if I'm like, Sitting at the red light, and it immediately turns green, and you honk at me, I'm going to sit here all day. I'm going to put it in park. I'm going to prop my feet up. We're living here now, man. I'm going to get my mail rerouted to this stoplight. This is where we are now. Get comfy, man. Like, I, that just drives me nuts. So, but how often do I get mad at people when I assume they did that to be mean? They did that to be a jerk. They're riding my tailgate. Oh, I just drive that's when they're, oh, you know, why? I don't want people to do that to me. So again, it's wrong, but I don't, I don't give people that benefit of the doubt. I don't give them that grace that I want people to show me. Anthony, how do you like it when people assume they know everything about you when they see like the way you drive? Or maybe how do you feel when people assume they know everything about you because you have a bumper sticker on your car that says a certain thing or takes a certain viewpoint. No, I don't like it at all, and you don't like it either. That means it's wrong for us to do these things. It's wrong for us not just to treat people in a way that's not great, but the way we think about people is also brought into this beautiful 
statement from Jesus, that not just do we treat people a certain way, but we think about them, we talk about them in ways that are full of grace, full of kindness, full of just giving people the benefit of the doubt in moments when maybe we didn't used to be that way. So, what do you like, though? Do you like it when people go out of their way to serve you? Do you like it when maybe you're having a really bad day and you're being short and maybe a little rude to people and, and somebody is, is over the top kind to you? Yeah, it turns your day around. Well, then, yeah. Then that is the requirement that you have when you treat other people. When someone comes at you with rudeness, instead of just being a jerk who decides to camp out at a green light all day, you know, you are a person who says, you know what, who knows? They're in a hurry. Maybe they're late. Maybe they're kids. Maybe, maybe everything went wrong today, and they are just panicking, and they honk just because they're having a bad day. I mean, there, you see there's a mindset shift that has to come along with just a behavior, not, not just a behavior shift here, with the golden rule. But it, it's meant to bring us out of this judgmental attitude that we so often find ourselves in. Where we're the hero, and anybody that we don't like, anybody who makes us mad, anybody who does something we disagree with, where they're the villains. And so the golden rule is here to help us see people as people. I mean, I, I just have a hard time seeing, you know, the, most of the people that I have a tendency to get judgment with, are they really sitting around plotting my demise are they really living their life for the sole purpose of inconveniencing me and making my life harder? That is, I mean, maybe you've met somebody like that, but it, it's, it cannot be the majority of people that we come across. The majority of people are people like us, and they're broken like we are. They're a mess like we are. They're struggling like we are, but they're not villains. They're not your enemy. They're people like us, and their experiences and their circumstances might lead them to live and act and make decisions differently than you, and maybe even have a, a different set of morality, a uh, different standard of morality than you have, but they're still humans in need of grace and mercy. And Jesus wanted his followers to have a heart for a broken and lost world, not to be a people who stay within our walls and point fingers at that outside world and go, oh, those people, and lob condemnations at them like we've got a, a catapult and we're bombing an enemy castle. You see, our time is better spent dealing with our own sin, dealing with the logs in our own eye. And, you know, personally, if I'm honest, the older I get and the more I look at Scripture and just the more I'm trying to be aware of how I act, I think I got plenty of sin to keep me busy to deal with. I think I got a lifetime of sin to work on in my own life. I don't think I'm ever going to get bored dealing with my own mess. And I'm guessing you don't either if you're really honest with yourself. You don't need to spend time going out and finding the sin and focusing on the sin of others. Now, does this mean that we're not allowed to look out at somebody and, and judge from the perspective of, that's morally wrong. No, that is not what this is saying. Does it mean that we can't call sin a sin? Absolutely not. What it means is you can't write people off for their sin. You can't disrespect them for their sin. You can't decide to ignore them and hope the worst for them because of their sin. No, we can still call sin sin, but we have to respond to people who are sinners the way Jesus responds to us as we are sinners. He responds to us with over-the-top grace and mercy, not condemnation. The fact that he was willing to come into a world that he didn't have to come into for a people he didn't have to love and to die a death that was brutal and miserable that he didn't have to endure simply because he wanted to rescue us and save us. And, I mean, that picture alone shows us how 
grace-filled Jesus' approach to our sin is. And we are meant to take that grace, take that mercy, and share it with a lost and hurting world. So instead of condemning us, he died for us. Instead of punishing us, he took the punishment we deserved. And so the golden rule encourages us to stop seeing people as black hat, mustache-twirling villains, and to see them as people just like you and me. Yes, there's brokenness. Yes, there's mess. But they are people in need of grace. And if we as Christians were grateful to receive that grace from Jesus, then we should be eager to show that grace to other people in the midst of their sin as well. This beautiful statement will never get old. You will never be able to set it off to the side and think, okay, I've mastered that. It will always be difficult. It will always be challenging because we always want to drift back to that judgmental, condemning mentality. And we live in a culture that will encourage that in your heart more than anything else. you got to pay attention to that. Every day, you are going to go out into this world, and everything you see, everything you listen to, everybody, you, every conversation you have, that is something that is shaping your perspective and your heart, shaping how you see the world. And there are so many things saying, divide, hate them, look at those people. They're idiots. They're morons. Don't give them grace. Don't give them mercy. Wish for, hope for, pray for their destruction. Okay. But when you feel that judgment, that pride, that sense that you just want to stand like you're the hero and they're the villains, you've got to stop and think, how did Jesus treat you in your mess? How did Jesus approach you when you went totally opposite of what he would want you to do? He approached you with grace, with mercy, and unending kindness. So don't don't think that you're ever going to get past this. I know it's one of them momisms, those statements we've heard a million times, and you know, after your parents tell you something a million times, you probably stop listening, right? I, I don't know how many times my mom said, watch for deer, as I left my house. But I bet I didn't even hear half of them, because it's like, oh, right, whatever, get out. I'm, I'm old enough. I'm 17. I know how to drive. I have a year's worth of experience. You know, what could go wrong? Oh, boy, if only 18-year-old Anthony knew what could go wrong, you know? Um, but, but, yeah, you stop hearing it. Don't stop hearing this. It's simple. It's short. It's often repeated. But it is not old news. It is not old-fashioned. It is beautiful. It is relevant. It is challenging. Do to others what you would have them do to you. Let's pray. Father, we are grateful for this really, really challenging statement in this section that is honestly challenging. Because when we read this statement... Uh, about judgment and not how we're not supposed to judge people. Very few of us consider ourselves judging people. And yet, I think many of us, if we're honest, we look at other people who live a different lifestyle than we live, who, who have a different moral scale than, than we measure behavior by, people who, who make decisions and have a different worldview than us. We tend to look at them in a way that is angry and divisive and, and not kind not full of grace, and we tend to ju- not just judge people, but condemn them as, like, they're, they're a lost group of people, they're a broken group of people, the world would be better without those people, and yet that's not the approach you call us to have to a lost and hurting world. You call us to see people who are victims of sin, people who need grace, who need mercy, who need love, and far too often, we love just shouting from the rooftops that sin is sin, that certain behaviors are wrong. And we forget the calling that we have to love first. We can still tell, tell people that, yes, 
there's behaviors that are wrong. There's things that they're doing that are not God's will. But if that isn't, but if if that's the first thing that we're pointing out to people, then I feel like we're we're spending more time calling out specks than taking time to examine the logs in our own eye. And so, Father, I pray that we would be people who have the discernment to know when to call sin sin, discernment to when to to step back from the judgmental attitude that wants to rise up in our hearts and to be full of grace, to be full of mercy, and to remember daily that we only are Christians. Those of us who are Christians, we're only here by your grace, Father, by the kindness that Jesus showed us on the cross, by the sacrifice he was willing to make on our behalf. We are not here because we're virtuous people. We are not here because we're a better kind of human. We are not here because we, we are some sort of spiritual elite We are here because we're redeemed. We were broken people, and you pulled us out of our sin. And you offered us salvation, and through your Holy Spirit, you started dusting us off and cleaning us inside and out so that we could be new people, new creations. Not a single Christian has anything to brag about but in in Christ. And so I just pray that we would remember where we came from. We're all broken, lost sinners, and that that would change how we look out into a world of broken lost sinners and that we would be people who show the grace and the mercy that we would want shown to us that we have had many of us shown to us through Christ and through people in the church and so let us be people who don't just are eager to we're not just eager to group people into categories we're not just eager to look at others as evil villains plotting the end of the world but we're able to look out into our world and see hope and see a message that we possess that the world needs to hear And so I just pray that this golden rule would be implanted in our hearts, that it would be something that we think about day in and day out, not just as how we live our lives but and how we treat people, but in how we think and how we speak of others, that we would be reserved, uh, we would take, we would reserve and hold back from gossiping and, and thinking exasperated, frustrated thoughts about people, but we would let you and your Holy Spirit shape how we think, and we would pause and hold our tongue in moments when when we know that we're saying something that isn't meant to be said, something that we wouldn't want said about us. So, Father, help us to live as best we can according to this golden rule and help us to get better at it every day by the power of your Spirit. Because, again, we're sinners and we're not going to be great at this. But help us to, uh, as much as we can, do to others as we want them to do to us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.